brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Thank you for joining me and welcome to Paranormal Mysteries. I'm your host, Nick Ryan. On today's episode, I'll be talking about a haunted house, a murdered spirit, a paranormal concierge, a picture of a ghost, and much more. But of course, before we start, I'd like to thank Glenda, Serenity, and Jean-Francois for their support and generosity. And remember that anyone can show their support by sharing and reviewing the podcast. Or if you'd prefer to make a monetary contribution, you may do so through our Patreon.com, BuyMeACoffee.com, or PayPal donation links. And if you have a paranormal experience to share with me, you may contact me by email at ParanormalMysteriesPodcast at gmail.com, through our voice message system at SpeakPipe.com slash ParanormalMysteries, or of course on our website at ParanormalMysteriesPodcast.com. And all of our support and contact information can be found in the show notes. And now let's start the show with our first story of the night, which comes to us from Joe. And Joe's story is called Paranormal Concierge. Joe says, Hi Nick, I promised I would send in more stories, so here is one from earlier in 1990. It started when I accepted a position as a patient care tech in a long-term care facility. I was pretty experienced by this time in my career and this particular assignment. Back in the day, most of the time, the male staff was limited to the male residents. This day, I was introduced to a quadriplegic and a new resident named Mr. J. We soon became pretty close, as you sometimes do in this field of care, and as we did, he became more comfortable with personal subjects and conversations. We often talked about our lives, hopes, and dreams. I worked the 3 to 11 shift, and no matter what was planned or scheduled for that shift, it began with first stopping in to say hello. Working this shift for most was always kind of eerie, and could be very creepy at times if you were not used to it. This night, I started off my shift as usual. As I looked down the wing where Mr. J was located, I noticed that he had a family member visiting, as I saw a tall figure enter his room, so I stopped and turned around as to not disturb this quality time. Later that shift, when I made my rounds and my way to his room, I was met with a different resident than the normally always cheerful Mr. J. The energy was very different and strange, and I knew something was on. This on is a feeling that comes over me when spirits are present. It starts with a tingle and then a flush of emotions, sights, and sounds. 
As I stood beside his bed, I saw a dark figure in the corner near the window. It just looked at us. Although I couldn't see any details or features, I could clearly see the outline of a tall man-shaped mass about six feet tall. I am what I call a trained observer, as I have had my share of encounters with the paranormal. I mention this because I noticed his interaction with this dark figure as he switched his gaze darting between both a figure and me. I could see that he was saddened, but not really scared. I assured him that I was there for him, and he thanked me. But what he said to me next caught me off guard, to say the least. He first thanked me for our time together, but he continued to tell me that he was passing on and would not be here when I got in the next day. Even though I was shocked, I somehow believed him because of what I had just witnessed. He could see that I had so many questions, but before I could ask, he said, I can't tell you or talk about it. He told me that he was not afraid, and I believed him. I stayed with him as long as I could and visited him throughout my shift. The following day, I called myself, being smarter than the situation, and I came in two hours earlier, determined to be there if and when it was his time. When I passed the nursing station that led to the wing, I was met by a staff member who gave me the news that he was already gone. My eyes swelled as it was hard holding back my emotions. I turned to leave the building, heading back the way I entered. I was immediately pulled back towards his empty room, which was being stripped as per procedure when someone has passed. As I was about to enter the room, things turned on once again, and I felt that familiar tingle. Before I could recover and gather myself, I saw him sitting there on the side of his bed, his feet dangling, and he was swinging them back and forth. His face had a huge smile and a look of wonderment. My eyes never left him as he slowly faded away. I think back and I realize that he was happy that he was about to take his second first step. Keep doing what you do, Joe. Our next story of the evening comes to us from Peggy, and Peggy's story is called Murdered Spirit with a Message. Peggy says, I work as a rehabilitation counselor with blind and deaf individuals. I was at work when a co-worker came in that morning, upset because someone she knew had been hit by a car and killed after going out the night before. I was heading to see a client that I worked with. She lived in public housing, a small one-bedroom cluttered apartment. Faith was extremely hard of hearing and didn't wear hearing aids. She could hear very loud noises, but not speech. She was also legally blind and kept the lights dimmed as the glare hurt her eyes. She was also in a wheelchair. Faith communicates by speaking and having others write or type their answers in big letters so that she can read it. The day I arrived, she was so upset. She said that a good friend of hers had been killed in a car accident. She said she knew this woman from karaoke nights at a local bar. This woman had been her friend, and she had very few close friends, and she didn't believe that it was an accident. She thought that she had been killed. This woman's photo was on her computer screen, which I was about to use to type to her to continue our conversation. Just as she told me about the woman who had died and said that she thought that she had been murdered, a lamp that was sitting next to the computer flew off the desk. I grabbed it mid-flight and looked around to see if I had hit the cord or if the cord had been pulled. Faith was sitting on the other side of the desk, nowhere near the lamp or the cord. I placed it back on the desk and started to type to Faith to explain what had happened. 
She continued to talk about the woman, and the lamp again flew off the desk. This time the plug which was under the desk came right out of the wall and was bent from the force. There was no physical cause for the lamp to move. I picked it up again and tried to explain what happened. Faith couldn't see what had happened due to her poor vision, and she just shook her head when I explained. Faith saw something go flying, but didn't seem to comprehend what had happened, even after I, shocked, tried to explain. I felt like the woman who had died was communicating, saying, Yes, Faith is right. It was a homicide, not an accident. I wanted to tell the police, but what would I say? The dead woman communicated with us, and the case needed to be investigated? After my work was finished with Faith for the day, I left with such a strong feeling that this woman was trying to communicate with us. There was no other explanation. I did tell my co-worker when I returned to the office, and she was shocked. I don't know what happened with the case, but I will never forget the incident. Our next story of the night comes to us from Chrissy, and Chrissy's story is called A Goodbye from My Soulmate from Beyond. Chrissy says, Hi Nick, it's so nice to be able to tell my story. I met my fiancé by fate. He lived in a different state while going to college. This was in 2001 when I was in my younger years when we met a couple of boys that were cruising town and they invited us to a party about an hour away from our home. When we went to this party, we were then invited to a party in Indianapolis and this is where I met my fiancé. We dated for a year before he proposed and we saw each other every weekend. Distance had nothing on us. We were that couple that everyone wanted to have. We loved each other endlessly, and we both knew that we were going to grow old together. Christmas was coming up, and we had just bought our first home with some help from my parents, and he had just graduated college, all within one month. So after he graduated, my mom and I took a truck to Indianapolis and gathered his things, and we started our lives. He had a job interview the day after Christmas, and I had just gotten the job of my dreams. We had it all. We were happy and in love. I had a son that was biologically not my fiancé's, but I met him while I was pregnant, and he took over as my son's father, even at such a young age. This brings us up to the day of Christmas Eve. He wanted to drive home and see his family for Christmas Eve, and he would be home in time for our son that was a baby at this time to open up presents. He drove my parents' car because they had a very nice luxury car that was comfortable. I kissed him goodbye, and he left. This is so hard for me to talk about, but I'm pushing through it. That night, when he was gone, I could not sleep. He was supposed to arrive back home at 2 a.m. Christmas morning. Like I said, I couldn't sleep, and the baby kept waking up, so I put him in bed with me, and every time I woke up, I kept checking the couch to see if maybe he decided to sleep there so that he wouldn't bother us in bed, but nothing. Every time I woke up, I worried more and more, until I got the worst feeling all throughout my body, and I saw my fiancé come to me in my dream. His arms were closed in front of his face, and his head was down. He was crying uncontrollably, and he would not speak. He just cried and sobbed. I told him that whatever it was, that we could get through it. It felt so real, and it immediately woke me up. When I woke up, I noticed that I had a scratch from the middle of my forehead that went down all the way to my ear, which was odd because we didn't have any animals. 
At 7 a.m., my dad pulled up in the driveway, and I was scared because he wasn't home yet, and I thought that my dad was going to be very mad. But I knew something was wrong when he walked in the door. He informed me that the police had been to his house in the very early morning hours, wondering who was driving their car. They even made my brother get up and come downstairs just to make sure it wasn't him because they could not find identification for my fiancé. He had driven three and a half hours home, and twenty minutes from home, he fell asleep and wrecked into a very large telephone pole. I did not realize until the end of the day that when I woke up when he came to me in my dream, it was 2 a.m. 2.01 was his time of death, and he had been cut from the middle of his forehead down to his ear. But he was cut down to his brain. This all seemed so surreal to me. How could this be real? We had just bought a home. We had just started our lives. And we just had a baby. To this day, I've never been so devastated in all my life. I have carried this depression around with me to this very day. Life has not been easy without him, but I am so blessed to have known such a wonderful, caring, and loving man. I don't remember much after my dad came to inform me. The brain has a weird way of blocking trauma. I'm glad that he came to say goodbye at the very least, and I still feel him near me all the time. Thank you so much for taking the time to read my story. This was not easy for me to write, but I felt like it needed to be shared. I am a bit of an empath, so when he's around I feel it, and I can also feel other people's pain and moods. No one deserves to go through what I went through and what he went through. It changed me as a person entirely. I really hope that I'm able to listen to you read my story on your podcast. Thank you so much for this platform and the chance to tell my story. Our next story of the night comes to us from Kelly, and Kelly's story is called A Picture of a Ghost. Kelly says, Hi Nick, I'm from Texas. I'd like to preface this by telling you what a great job you've been doing. It's amazing that you've created this platform for everyone to share their stories without any judgment. Keep up the great work, and thank you so much for what you've done for us. Now, I have a story to share with you. My mother and I had to drive to Oklahoma to stay a night for a doctor's appointment. My uncle lives in Oklahoma, so we stayed there instead of getting a hotel room. My uncle's house used to belong to my grandparents, his and my mother's parents. The house was built in 1951, with many occupants before my grandparents bought it. I don't know much on the history of the house. The house overall has an uneasy feeling to it. Most of the upstairs is blocked off due to the amount of stuff that my grandparents have kept up there. It's almost a hoarder's house with how many things they have. My grandmother actually passed away in the house. I've always been sensitive to the paranormal, but also extremely intrigued. I'm normally not one to think too much of it, but night eventually fell, and it was time to go to sleep. There's only one functional bedroom out of five in the house, and it belongs to my uncle, so my mother and I had to settle down in the living room. My mother got the inflatable mattress, and I took the couch. We were both exhausted, but I couldn't fall asleep. I just felt so uneasy. The air was heavy and cold. There were so many noises, like bumps and creaks, but I chalked it up to the house settling, or raccoons. My boyfriend had gone to a party that night and hadn't been answering for a while, so I just assumed that was what was making me nervous. I did my best to try to fall asleep, but I still couldn't, so I decided to get on Snapchat and talk to some of my friends. 
At about 5 a.m., I accidentally swiped up on my Snapchat and see my saved photos. I see one that I had saved from earlier, but I don't remember saving it at all. So, being curious, I go to look at it. I hold down on the photo so I can see what time it was taken, and it reads 11.38 p.m. I take a closer look at the photo to see a very white, grinning face in the background. I'm frozen in fear. The face showed so much maliciousness. You could see the eyes which were white, and I was absolutely terrified. I couldn't stop looking. I laid there for a moment, whispering to my mom, trying to wake her up. After a bit, I hear her whisper, What? Back to me. Still scared, I get up and walk over to her, saying that there's someone in this picture that I took. She's telling me that she doesn't want to see it because she doesn't like that kind of stuff. I'm still terrified, and I curl up into bed next to her. The sun begins to shine through the windows, and I felt a bit more safe with the sun rising. I got back on the couch after a bit, and I ended up falling asleep around 6 a.m. I spent the next day thinking about it and feeling so nervous and nauseous. My mom told me that it was just my imagination, but I was feeling uncomfortable the whole night, so I just brushed her off. After that, I've never had any more experiences at that house other than feeling uncomfortable. It may have just been a one-time thing, or just my imagination like my mother said. I'm not sure, but what do you think about it? I've attached the photo that I took that night. I hope it finds you well, and thank you once again for allowing us to share our stories. Blessed be, Kelly. As always, you can find Kelly's very interesting picture on our forum, and you can find a link to our forum in the show notes. Our next experience of the night comes to us from Hoss, and Hoss's story is called The Man in a Black Suit. Hoss says, Hello, I'm not sure if you still do listener stories. I'm about a year behind on the podcast. My story is not directly mine, but I have felt it or him. At my brother's shop, there is an entity that stays in the shadows and in the dark. By all of the accounts of the people that work at the shop, this entity is in the form of a man with no face wearing a black suit. This being has a history at this shop as well as unexplained injuries after sightings. We will start with last night when I was last there. It was about 9.50 at night in West Texas, and at this time of year it gets dark outside at 6.30. While me, my fiancé, my brother, and his wife were chatting and messing around, my fiancé and his wife went to go and find the man in the black suit, and reluctantly, me and my brother followed. As soon as we got to the room that he lived in, the moment I had the intention of looking into the dark, I felt pain, and something so evil that I couldn't take my eyes off of it. That feeling persisted until after I was home. The whole time I knew that I was being watched, but I didn't know by what. Everyone that works at that shop that has seen this man in a black suit has lost something to him. A finger, a toe, a foot, or an arm. And he has made a lathe chuck fly out of its machine with no prior incidents. There has been other incidents where machines will turn on randomly like lathes, bandsaws, and even shop cranes will move without warning. Other times the shop forklift will start by itself, even though it requires a tool to start. After the people at this shop had lost something to this man in a suit, the dread and evil they felt beforehand seemed to disappear. 
I'm not sure what this man is, but I know the feeling is always there, and he comes out, night or day, and he is darker than the dark. Thank you for reading this. I hope it might end up on the podcast, and I love your show. From Hoss Our next experience of the evening comes to us from Dustin. And Dustin says, Hi there. I'm writing this in regards to the last podcast I heard, which was number 172, I believe. The guy describes everything to a T that has and is happening to me as we speak. Well, all except for the lady in the mirror being upside down. At my house, there are mirages that run around throughout it all the time. I can see them more than my wife, but my son is only three, and he can see them too. I believe that they mess with him more so than not, and I am scared for him because they are messing with me, and they hurt me. Right as I speak, you may not believe this, but these mirages, wrapped around my body like a snake, constricting me and going into my ear like a worm. They leave scratch marks on me, and they break things in my house. They chase my son a lot of times and he cries. I went to a witch woman to try to rid myself of them and the house, but to no avail. I don't know what to do or who to call for help, but I am totally afraid of what they will do next. They follow me everywhere I go, and are stronger within the house, but even outside the house they still hold power. Every time I sit down on a piece of furniture, you can feel them jump up on it like an animal would, and they start walking towards me every time. Last week, they really have been active and doing things they haven't done before. They went deep within my ear, and it actually hurts. I can pull a mirage out of my ear like a piece of string. I know it sounds crazy, but you of all people must have heard something similar to mine. If you can please think of anything that I may be able to do to help in this matter, please contact me. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy person, but if you have any ideas to be rid of these things please tell me as soon as possible, before anything else happens. Thank you again. Respectfully, Dustin. If anyone listening has advice for Dustin, please contact me directly and I'll be sure to put you in contact with him. Our next experience of the night comes to us from DJ, and DJ's story is called A Haunting on Apache Street. DJ says, my husband at the time, he's now deceased, and I moved into a house on Apache Street in a small town in Oklahoma with our four children. Everything was going good the first few days. The house had a wall in the middle of the house that separated the living room and the kitchen. Walking around the right side of the wall, you would pass two bedrooms. First was our room, and the second was the girls' room. The boys' room was in the back of the house, behind the kitchen. Then you would walk around the kitchen and around the back of the living room to the left of the wall. Almost a week after moving in, I was sitting in the living room on the couch that was backed up to the wall. The front door had a small window at the top of it. The screen door was heavy and not easy to open, but all of a sudden the screen door opened slowly, like someone was opening it. I assumed that someone was at the door, and as I was waiting for a knock, the screen door then slammed hard. It made me jump. I jumped up and ran over to the door, but nobody was there. Then we started seeing this black cat hanging around. It would kill the squirrels and eat the head and leave the body on the stoop. It was a very strange cat. It would hiss at anyone that was close to it, and several very strange things happened the next few weeks. 
the kids became so frightened that they no longer would sleep in their own rooms. They wanted to sleep on the floor in our room. One day I was in the kitchen and the kids and I were eating crackers. We had eaten them all and the kids went to go play. I started on the dishes that were left from lunch when something caught my eye. The cracker wrapper was still on the counter and it started moving slowly and sliding down the counter to the edge. It then flew, stopped in the air, and then straight down onto the floor. I stood there in shock. Then I felt pressure around me from behind, and then a deep, scary growling. I screamed, Jesus, help me, and the pressure and growling then disappeared. I grabbed the kids and ran to a neighbor's house, and we never went back inside that house. Now the kids are grown, and they talk about that cat. They say that the cat would walk around our bedroom, and they say that it walked across the headboard of our bed, and that its eyes would glow. We never let that cat in the house, and we didn't have a headboard. As we come to the end of tonight's episode, I appreciate all of you for being here, and a special thank you goes out to Joe, Peggy, Chrissy, Kelly, Haas, Dustin, and DJ for sharing their experiences. And of course, if you've had a paranormal experience and would like to share your story with me, you may contact us through email, voice message, or on our website via the links in the show notes. Until next time, I hope you all have a great weekend, and I'll see you back here on Monday with our next episode. From everyone at Paranormal Mysteries, thank you for listening, and remember, don't wait for the unknown to come to you. Get out there and find it. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely.